This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on changing a host's menu, armchair doctors, thinking about hospice care and visits, and email writing etiquette. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question is about an existential tipping crisis. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on the making of Emily Post's Etiquette, the Centennial Edition, with a very special guest, our editor from 10 Speed Press, Caitlin Ketchum. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we are in a great and scary position of having to announce to you all that you got to get on it and order this book if you want it in time for the holidays. Dan, we're almost sold out. It's the best bad news I ever got. <laughs> and definitely I ever exciting. I know, right? Like, and definitely exciting, too. The way that book publishing works is that you do a certain number of runs of, of books. So your print and your print size is a certain number. And once you sell out of that, or when you get close to selling out of that, you have to order a reprinting. And so our, our wonderful publisher, 10 Speed Press, has done that. So there are books that are going to be coming. But... The timing of things is such that we really need to announce to you all that the entire first printing of Emily Post's Centennial Edition has officially sold out. It's a dream. It's definitely a dream come true. Um, But for those of you who have not ordered yet, don't fear. A second printing is coming, and it it will be into stores by – or at least into into the warehouse by December 6th, we think. And so a brand – a new batch of Emily Post Centennial Edition should be arriving around the country in very early December. But until then, we really need to encourage you to continue ordering. But you're going to have to just anticipate a little bit of a longer delay in the arrival. And if you are planning to purchase a signed copy, please, please place that order with Bridgeside Books before December 5th. That's really, really important. December 5th is the deadline. If you want a signed or personalized copy, and this is especially for the personalized copies, that December 5th deadline is really important. So even forget December 5th, purchase that book today. That way you know that you are on their list, that you will be accounted for in the order that they put out to 10 Speed Press, to Penguin uh, Random House's warehouse in order to receive your personalized copy before 
the holidays. I think it's really, really important to get that out to you all because we don't want you to miss out. We know a lot of you are planning on ordering this book as um, a holiday gift. Specifically, many of you have mentioned the Christmas holiday. And it's really important to us that, that we try to help make that dream come true. So get on it. This is the week to do it. Order before Thanksgiving and definitely before December 5th in order to get that personalized copy. There will be the potential for just signed copies after a certain point to make it in time for that Christmas holiday, but we'll get into that a little bit later. For now, if you're looking for that personalized copy, one more time for the folks in the back, you really want to order from Bridgeside Books before December 5th. Dan, tell them the awesome way that you have made it so easy to order from Bridgeside Books. If you go to emilypost.com, there is a banner at the top of every single page. I like to think that it is unmissable. But (laughs) even if you were to skip reading anything, just look for the the biggest, most bannered button at the top of every page of the Emily Post website, emilypost.com, and you will be taken directly to the order page at Bridgeside Books. Lizzie Post, I am so curious what your experience was walking into Bridgeside Books yesterday. We went at different times to sign for the first time ever. (laughs) And I I had gone first, so I had gotten the news first. And I was very pleased. I had this grin on my face. And I wish I could have been there when they told you. So (laughs) can you tell me what that was all about, what that moment was like? Funny enough, I had someone buzzing in my pocket repeatedly calling me, which is so un-Dan-like, you guys. That's like the, that's the role I play for him is I'm like, I can't get a hold of Dan. I'll just call him again. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Dan's like, I can't get a hold of Liz. I'll go do other things. (laughs) And so I had my pocket buzzing, buzzing, buzzing with Dan, but I was talking with the gals at Bridgeside Books. And remember, this is a a local bookstore that we really love. We are really happy with the uh, support we've gotten from them and the support you all have been giving to us and them through purchasing your books through Bridgeside Books. So I'm always really excited to walk in there. And I always love it because they're able to tell us a bunch of information that we can't seem to get easily about how the books are selling. And so it's always a good thing. I walked in and Jenna had that wonderful look on her face that said, I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> and, and, I, and as Dan knows, I immediately go into the give it to me. Like, don't sugarcoat it. Just lay it all out on the table. And she did. And I was really relieved to find out that there was still going to be an option to get books to our listeners that are personalized copies in time for that Christmas holiday this year. It was a big relief to know that it would happen. It was a little scary to know that the timing was cutting it so incredibly close. But overall, it's incredibly exciting to have a book that sold out its first run. It means that this company, this brand, this podcast, the audience attached to it, it's all working. It's working together. And that made me really, really happy that to push a second printing within a month of having your book come out, that means something to the publisher and it means something to us, the author, and it gets us closer to our goals. We're not there yet, but we are a third of the way to our big goals for this book and our big plans for this book in its first year of launch. And so we really wanted to thank you all 
Thank you all for hitting that buy button. We want to thank you all for buying, not just for yourself, but for someone else. There is no shame or awkwardness in giving an etiquette book as a gift if you're looking for the line to make it better. It we is a it beautiful in, gift. In and last week's show, yeah. Go for it, Dan. Jump in. <laughs> and I've got to tell people that about the discussion that you and I had about the personal, the personalizing and the signing. Yeah. And Lizzie has such beautiful handwriting and is so oh, this good <laughs> at including just, just these like little pithy or heartfelt sentiments. She she personalizes so well is what I'm trying to say and was feeling bad like I was shirking some of the work, not doing more of the personalizing. And I was going in at a different time and I was asking Lizzie, do you want me to, to try to do half of the personalizations? And she said, no, no, no. I love doing that. If you don't mind, I, I would like to. And – this is my way of sharing that I feel a little awkward doing it, but Lizzie Post is so good at it. I think it's one of the things that makes it such an excellent gift. Give her an idea. Give her a clue. Give her a little thread to pull on. Make it funny. Make it heartfelt. Make it Just caring. Just don't make me sign a love letter to the person. <laughs> That's a message from you. <laughs> it really is a lovely gift. Lizzie, you're doing such a good job with it. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And just in case anybody out there is wondering, if you do get one that has a mistake in it, Dan did that one. Just saying. Dan did the. No, I'm kidding. I probably did, too, is the funny thing. No, he didn't. He didn't. He did not. He did beautifully on the ones he did. But we were having this moment where I was like, I I enjoy writing them. I enjoy coming up with a little something if I can. If you've already given us something pre-done, I really appreciate that. And again, we try to make it make sense coming from the authors, <laughs> but we know some of them, you aren't going to be the person handing it over, so you can't personalize it yourself. So it kind of then becomes almost like, um, like flower delivery, like the card with like a, with, with flowers that get delivered or something like that. But I really, I, I appreciate them all that have come in and I really love getting the opportunity to connect with our audience this way. And there are some of you who have written really sweet notes to us and you might even find some really sweet sweet notes coming back to you with your purchase. But all in all, and, and we're running on way too long for our intro segment, but all in all, we are thrilled with the response. We hope that you've been catching us in some of the national um, and even local news that we've been able to get, the media hits that have been coming in for this book. And most of all, we hope that you love the book that you've gotten, that you're so inspired by it, that you want to give it to other people, yeah. and that you want to place a review. <laughs> Reviews help this book so much. And I have to say, I was really sad. I popped onto Amazon earlier this week, and sure enough, we had this beautiful review you and I loved it so much and then below it were two trolls and it just it, you know they're trolls but at the same time it hurts so much and so I am asking all of you to get out there stomp on the trolls I'm saying it <laughs> I'm going for it get aggressive put up a positive review of the book on Amazon or wherever it was that you purchased it if you uh, got it as a gift please post to social media about how much you're loving the book and why you think it would be a great gift for others this is how this book will really take off. We want third and fourth and fifth printings, and we need your help to get it done. So please, please, please get out there, order your books early, order them often for more people in your life, and please consider posting a review. Dan, I think I've sold as much as I can sell in this intro. 
We're sharing the best bad news we ever got. Best bad news we ever got. <laughs> what a time to sell out, right? Right at the start of a holiday shopping season. Oh, and my goodness. <laughs> the good news is more books are coming and they will be delivered by the holidays. So get those orders in. And like Lizzie, I want to second the thanks. Thanks to all of you who have helped to get us to this point and who I hope will enjoy the rest of the ride with us. Lizzie Post. Yeah. <laughs> we have some questions to get to. We absolutely do. Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our first question is titled Menu Musings, and it is super short. In fact, it was so short, there wasn't anything in the body of the email, just the subject line. And it begins, can you change the hostess menu as a guest? Anonymous. Ooh, ooh me first, me first. Yeah, yeah, oh, you first, you first. Go for it. <laughs> no. That's true. Yay. Ding, ding, ding. Answer. No, you really, you really can't change the hostess menu as a guest. Now that we know the rule. Dan, let's break it a couple times because we love doing that on yeah, this Yeah, let's show. talk about how it most often happens <laughs> because given that it's a firm no. Break, yeah, I was going to say we break this rule. I, I don't feel like all the time. I don't want to get the sense that like this is one of those, those rules like, like that you do break all the time, but this is definitely something that can be broken in a couple of ways. Dan, what's the first way and the most common that we usually see this happen in? So there's a, a version of the host guest dance that happens around the invitation and the RSVP where a guest who is considerate, who is thoughtful, will let a host know about any dietary restrictions or needs that they have. And this is often the beginning of a little conversation about what are the best ways for a host to accommodate a guest's diet and good hosts want their guests to be comfortable, want them to be able to participate, want them to be able to enjoy themselves and are pursuing this with that, um, with that thought in mind and with that kind of a positive attitude and a good guest wants to give a host every piece of information that they would need to host well. And oftentimes that involves giving a little bit of tough news. I, there are certain limits that I need to keep track of myself that I need to make you aware of. And when you bring those sorts of um, challenges, it's oftentimes good etiquette to also have potential solutions in your pocket, ways that you could participate, suggestions that you might make. And thus begins the host guest dance. Are you changing the menu? Are you forcing a change? No, not really. But there's room for some discussion there about the best ways to proceed. It's really about accommodation. 
And you know that your host wants to be as accommodating as they can be. And at the same time, you know that they have a plan in mind. And it's it's a balancing act between this. You want to accommodate what they have already put into action. And they want to accommodate making you feel comfortable. At least this is if we're both good hosts and good guests, right? Um, but I think it's important to recognize that these accommodations are things that then need to be a little bit discussed and that discussion is an okay one to have. And as Dan said, if you've got the solution in your back pocket of, you know, I'd be happy to bring a dish that meets my needs or, you know, uh, I've, I've actually had a couple people offer to not participate. And there was one time where that actually worked better. And it was they we, we had talked about the idea of creating some extra dishes. And instead, it did work best for them to actually just not participate and she was really clear about that Dan and I actually had that <laughs> that that uh, meeting with uh, with a woman the other week who we were really happy to see but she was on a very restrictive diet to the point where she said it's just easier if i just don't even bring the one thing she could eat herself and so it definitely it's again going back to that word accommodation we're really trying to gently accommodate both the host and guest here and it's about getting to the point of having the discussion so that you know what the best plan of action moving forward would be Dan, the other place that I see this happening is with really good friends, <clears throat> also maybe my sister. She's really good at having ideas, and she's like a good idea person. And so it can sometimes be that among really close friends and family that you might pop up and say, oh, Chinese food sounds does sound great, but how do you guys feel about, would, would you be maybe interested in switching to a pizza night? You know, and I could see that being something that gets floated and you know whether or not it gets it gets taken up is a different thing but that's the kind of for a super casual get together where it's more about organizing than it is about someone planning and hosting I could see my my neighbor, Catherine, and I, who hang out all the time doing that. Like, hey, do you want to do this for dinner? No, but I would do this, <laughs> like, you know, or something like that. It's not exactly changing a hostess's or a host's menu, but it is uh, floating a new idea, I would say. <laughs> Lizzie, are you getting to that point in the season where you want your potato leek soup yet? <laughs> I Okay, so first of all. I already have last winter's potato leek soup still frozen in my fridge and I'm making my way through it. But I am getting ready because I am getting ready to start the winter of, of soup for lunch or soup for dinner. <laughs> and potato leek is my favorite. But I freeze it in my ice cube trays. It, I, You know, like eight to ten cubes is a great serving. I can use it as a base for other stuff. Wait, this isn't a question about recipes and my Was love my suggestion <laughs> early enough and subtle enough that I've... Just suggested a menu for our next just like, evening. Yeah, no, you just totally, totally like popped the button on. The <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I could talk about soup and warm foods for the rest of the show. Cut me off. Keep me focused on the etiquette. <laughs> okay, so big picture, no, you can't change a hostess menu as a guest, and I think right. to try to do it would be off-putting. And yes. in both of the situations that we described as sort of exceptions or places where something that might appear to be a guest dictating a menu for a host are really much more about uh, situations where the host would want that kind of participation from the guest and would welcome and enjoy it. 
Absolutely. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. And we hope that the next dinner party you attend has a menu you absolutely love. It is really interesting and amazing to know how you can prepare your meals in an appetizing and pleasing manner. There's an old saying and a true one that what is pleasing to the eye is bound to be pleasing to the appetite. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our next question is titled Armchair Doctors, and it came in as a voicemail. And this is a great reminder. We love to hear your voice. We know that you like sending in your questions via email, but don't forget that phone number. We love to hear your voice. It's really easy to leave us a voicemail as well. Hello. My name is Julie. I had a question about declining unsolicited medical advice and how to deliver it in a polite way. I'm a person with a chronic illness, specifically a nerve disorder, and I was texting with a friend recently about said nerve disorder, stating that it was the reason I had been sick the last couple days. The friend texts back, says, hey, have you tried a hot bath soak and some Epsom salts? I know that works really well for apes. Now, this is a new friendship. I've only known her about two to three weeks. So I haven't really shared anything beyond I have a nerve disorder and sometimes I'm sick and have to cancel plans. So when she shared that, it, you know, unsolicited medical advice, I texted back and I responded saying, hey, I really appreciate the sentiment, but I was looking for support and not suggestions or solutions, unless, of course, you're my doctor. I'm just not really into people giving me unsolicited medical advice. She responds back, all of in text saying, okay, well, I don't think we're looking for the same kind of friendship that I, I text her back and I said, I really hope I didn't offend you. People in my family does as often. I, I'm just really looking for understanding and not, you know, advice about my personal medical history when, yeah, so that friendship kind of ended. Is there a better way I could have said thanks for the concern, but I don't want medical advice? Like, because it's, I feel uncomfortable because I feel like the person giving me unsolicited medical advice is the rude one, but it feels like I ended up being rude by being honest. I don't know how to navigate that situation. So if you guys can give me some etiquette pointers from a chronically ill person how to politely decline unsolicited medical advice from anyone. So, yeah, thanks, guys. (laughs) I'm a little dumbfounded by it. Julie, thank you so much for your question. So, Dan, what I'm hearing from, from Julie's question is that this is a new friendship and that Julie has a condition, um, a disorder that affects her nervous system, her nerves, that can sometimes cause her to have to cancel plans last minute. So when she's getting to know a new friend, 
this is something that they, you know, she she might bring up as sorry, I've been absent for a few days, you know, my my nerve condition was acting up, something like that. And what I'm sensing is a very common situation, I feel like most people when they hear something is wrong, they want to help. And the way they think that the best way to help is to just offer the suggestion, offer what they know that they might do if they were experiencing aches or something like that. So already what I'm sensing is that the the friend isn't quite getting the severity of the condition. And even though the condition has already been discussed – and that it's even to the point where sometimes plans might get canceled because of the condition, that this friend hasn't really picked up on the idea that this is something that Julie deals with on a regular basis, has a doctor she's working closely with on it, you know, and, and that this is a part of how, like, something she manages in her life. And it is so it feels like a, a definitely a disconnect of perspective. And I think that for the friend – she thought or he thought or they thought that the support they were offering by saying an Epsom salt bath, which is a very relaxing thing. It's a nice homeopathic thing to suggest. And it does does work for lots of stuff is being supportive. And when I think the friend is being met with the the language that Julie gave us, that it's feeling a bit like their support is being attacked rather than what I think Julie was trying to do, which was explain the type of support that helps her. And I think some some classic sample script tweaking here will make this conversation go way smoother in the future. I agree a thousand percent, Lizzie Post. I can't listen to this question and not do the me too. I experience that all the time in my own mind yeah. because this is a conversation that Pooj and I have on a pretty regular basis. Do you? She, yes. She will want to share with me things that are challenging for her, difficult, things that she's struggling with, mm-hmm. and I want to help her solve them. And she has learned to be very clear with me before she brings up a potential difficulty or trouble to let me know the kind of support that she's looking for. Because sometimes it is just to be heard and acknowledged and to share with me what she's experiencing. And other times she'd very much appreciate my support in a more active way, a more engaged way. Mm -hmm. But it is much easier for us to have that discussion before the and I'll put it in air quotes, bad news is delivered or, or difficult news, because then I'm, I'm set up with understanding that the expectation for reply, that's going to be the most helpful for her. That's the one that she's looking for. And it comes from that, that challenge that I think you described so well, that for a lot of people offering support feels like, or is an active process. It's something they want to help. They want to help solve it. They want to get involved. They want to do something. They want to mm-hmm. contribute. And reaching some harmony or accord between people who who like that kind of help and people who are looking for a more emotionally supportive help the mm-hmm. the experience of being with someone in that is something that I think is really worth investigating I so appreciate this question as an opportunity to look at that issue a little bit Absolutely I also think that it's so helpful as the person wanting to help to know the type of help that someone's looking for. <laughs> Cause I don't think anybody wants to go through a whole laundry list of, of potential solutions if they don't have to, you know what I mean? 
For me, one of the real cruxes of this particular situation is that it's a very new friendship. And I do think that that's a place where we want to give some of those grains of salt, be willing to explain ourselves a little bit more. But at the same time, because it's so new, maybe we don't go in to full, this is exactly what I need and this is what you were doing mode, where we're analyzing what was happening. I'm guessing that the new friend felt unfamiliar with this territory and just pressured. Like now they're hearing that they've done the wrong thing when they were hoping they were doing the right thing. And this is a new friendship. So they're unsure, I think, of what to do and probably feeling like they got it wrong. And that's both a disappointment for them and something that they might feel a little defensive about too, because they feel like, hey, I'm new to this. I don't know. And so I think moving forward, Julie, what I might try to do is I think you're doing a really good job of letting your friends know like early in a friendship that you do have a condition that can cause you to have to cancel on a regular basis or that you might end up just feeling really low for a number of days and that sometimes just a, a call asking how you're doing can be really transformative. That might be a little too prescriptive on a new friendship. Hi, we're new friends. If, you know, you haven't heard from me in a couple of days, could you call and, and do this? Kind of, that might be a little too much for a new friendship, I think. But I do think letting someone know that, that you're doing the right thing of letting friends know ahead of time. When this moment happens, I think what I might try is a different tact is to recognize in my own head that they are they are simply trying to be supportive and that it's missing the mark a little bit. So to lean into the intention that you know they're they're probably trying to convey, which is support for you. And say something like, "Thanks, I'm working with the advice from my doctor, but I'm glad that, you know, Epsom bath really helps you when you feel achy." And then maybe move on. It might be a signal that this isn't the right person to be getting the support from, that it might be friends who are more familiar with you or maybe family if you're close to family that are more familiar with you to get the bigger level of support or the emotional support that you are hoping for and seeking. And I think that that might be better when it's something like a three-week-old friendship as, as opposed to really explaining out what you needed for them and how they're failing at that and how that's impacting you then. I do want to just recognize that this is why we hope that things like this podcast and things like our book help to get the word out about what kind of support is really helpful. And exactly what Dan and Pooja do together is the type of support I hope people can get to more naturally in their relationships, more at the start of their relationships, which is the being able to ask for exactly what you're looking for. So maybe if you had reached out to this friend and said, hey, I've been really low for the past couple days because my condition has flared up. I could really use a friend to just listen to me for a minute. Do you have a do you have a second? That might put your friend in a better position to help you the way you want to be helped. I really like that sample script because it's just it provides the clarity. It, it strips away the, the ambiguity for the other person and really tells them what you're looking for. Now, I also like the way you're thinking about this as a early in a friendship event. And when I read this question, I, I had a little, just a little twinge of sadness that yeah. this perceived rudeness, that the response to it were, 
an impediment to a relationship that looked like two people making an effort to yes. share and take care of each other. And I, I'm just hoping that there's some room here for a revisiting of this friendship. Maybe when that feeling of defensiveness is, has maybe abated just a little bit or the feeling of having someone pry into areas of life that they, that they really shouldn't has, faded a little bit just with time as will naturally happen that there might be room to um, strike up this friendship again either addressing this particular thing or as you said maybe that that just becomes a learning moment about how people communicate and what their feedback styles are something else that we talk about on this podcast sometimes and that that information can serve you both moving forward and, and maybe there's still room for a friendship here Julie, dealing with regular doctors can be difficult. Dealing with armchair doctors can be really difficult. We appreciate your question. We wish you the best with your condition and really hope that our answer helps. From Joe, I learned how to be a friend and how to make friends. That one friendship often leads to others. And best of all, to appreciate and enjoy people of many varying backgrounds and personalities. Yes, sir. With friends, it's a great old world. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question is about hospice care. My grandchildren are coming to visit me, ages 5 to 12. I'm in hospice at home, and I want them to be at ease how can I put them at ease and just enjoy them? Thank you, Sue. Sue, thank you so much for the question. It's a brief one, and yet you've given me so much to think about. The way that you are approaching this, the way that you're thinking about others is really remarkable. And it has me instantly reflecting on a job that I had early in life where I I consider myself very fortunate to have gotten to work with a hospice program. I did respite care for um, people that work for hospice and families that were involved with hospice. And it was one of the most significant and meaningful experiences in my life. I met people in that organization who did such incredible work. And I'm just really grateful that you found that organization to help you at this time in your life. One of the things that struck me about working with hospice is what rewarding, what incredible rewarding work it was and how significant and how meaningful people's experience of their time with hospice and in hospice can be and how transformative it could be for people. And I love that you are thinking about how you want to spend time with the people that matter to you, the quality of that time and how you can guide them to help that experience meet some of the needs and, and, and fulfill you in ways that you're looking for. And in the spirit of good etiquette and communication being at the heart of good etiquette, I really want to encourage you to talk with your family about this desire. I think the best way to get the outcomes that you're looking for is to share 
your wishes. And Mm -hmm. I think starting particularly with the parents of the kids is a really good way to begin. And you can let them know exactly what you've told us that you're, you're really prioritizing the thing that you want to experience is time, time with your family and the people that you care about and that you want that time to be as easeful as possible, that you want them to be comfortable so that you can all experience that together. And it can be a difficult and sensitive time for people. So I think thinking ahead and making that clear and explicit is going to go a long way towards helping people navigate that event when it comes, that visit, that time that you get to spend together as sacred and special and precious as it is. When I think about potentially visiting someone in hospice, I'm thinking about such a delicate time in their life. I mean, it, it is, it, you, you are at the end and those every moment does seem so precious. And I immediately kind of go into solemn mode. And I think what impressed me so much about Sue's question to us was that she really wanted to enjoy her time and to, to, I think I get the sense that she wants to be as present for it and have it be as positive as an experience as possible, even though the sentimentality of the moment might be one that's starting to fill with longing and sorrow and things like that. I'm hearing a desire for enjoyment. And I, I would guess seeing your grandchildren laugh and smile would be a great joy in even in this moment. And I think that when you talk about communication being exactly what we need to make this go well, I think that communicating even the emotional vibe that you'd like to set for the emotional atmosphere that you'd like to set for the visit would be helpful for your your children to hear so that they can encourage their grandchildren to be meeting that space. It might even come across as a little unexpected and therefore worthwhile having that conversation about and know that you really do get to set that tone to the best of your ability. And if uh, the energy isn't quite there to be getting the laughs going or the things like that, that that telling your children that you want this to be a joyful visit, that we really enjoy our time together might help inspire them to think of some ways to, to encourage or to just be while they're at the visit. Tell them you love them. Tell them you love to watch them play. Tell them you yeah. love to watch them smile. And that spending time together is the most important thing to you. Yeah. And be ready because people will also have their own strong emotions at this time and being prepared to meet them where they're at and to be as present with that as you would want and wish for them to be present with what you're sharing with them, I think is, is also worth keeping in mind, is worth making room for as you prepare for this time together with your family. Sue, we really hope that with a little bit of communication that you are able to get exactly out of these visits what you are hoping for and that you can spend some really beautiful quality time with your family. Thank you so much for your question. Best to you. Our next question is about email etiquette. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I hope you are both doing well. I have an email etiquette (laughs) question that I would love your two cents on. I work in a setting where the staff coordinator sends out multiple updates throughout the week. I end up having to respond to maybe five of her emails each week, 
and when I have a question, email is the best way to contact the coordinator for an answer. I've noticed that with each email that is sent, the coordinator always starts with, Hello, Mr. Smith, I hope all is well, and then begins the update or ask that she has for myself or my coworkers. When I respond to her messages, I usually say, Hi, Miss Jones. Thank you for the reminder. I'll be sure to stop by your office before I leave today. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Or if I'm asking a question, Hi, Miss Jones. I noticed the meeting for today has been removed from the calendar. Has it been canceled? Best, Mr. Smith. Is it rude not to include a response to her, I hope you are well, or share my own hopes for her health at the beginning of my emails? This sounds wordy. And to me, it seems generational from when emails were written more in the style of letters. Would you recommend including this and similar greetings as a part of my email etiquette or being more direct in my emails? Best, Jacob. Jacob, I have to admit that I'm currently watching The Crown and there are some letters featured in this particular season of it. And it, it, it tickled me to hear you say, you know, I know this comes from emails come from letter writing and letter writing often started with, you know, asking if someone was well or wishing them well. Yes. And I was thinking back to the letters in this particular season and they don't start off that way. <laughs> but I also love how you started your email to us because it begins with, I hope you are both doing well. <laughs> and so there was this wonderful little little dance of, of doing the thing there, and Jacob. asking the thing. And I thought this was going to be about the issue of using Ms. Jones and or Hi, Mr. Smith in every single email, which we've talked about before. It doesn't have to be the norm once you've started a thread. But it sounds like this is how these folks operate. So I'm I'm not we're we're kind of not going to focus on that and instead focus on this wishing of well and whether or not you have to do it every time. I feel like personally, Dan, I would do it in the first email response and then I wouldn't do it in any other throughout the day, even if they were separate threads started with their own initiation. Mm -hmm. I don't think once you've had that exchange, you have to continue it. But I probably would in my very first response to Ms. Jones every day, if we're emailing every day, I would I would say, I'm I, I'm well and I hope you're doing well as well. You know, or hope you're doing well too. And just keep it simple like that. But then drop it from there on out. <laughs> How'd I do? I think you Quiz did great. Me. Judge me, judge me. <laughs> no, this is such a good question, and there is no right answer to it. I think there are conventions really? and forms. I, I know, I know. <laughs> and here's here's my thought on it, which is okay. that it, if I were to say first email to someone external in an organization or internal, I, I'm going to start with full names, more formalized greetings. Some places mm -hmm. that's titles. Oftentimes in emails, as you pointed out, titles are not as common and can introduce mm -hmm. more distance than you would want them to or intend them to. If I'm communicating with someone who I know uses titles, who I have a more formal or structured relationship with, I would absolutely use titles. Um, if I'm trying to show a particular type of respect, I would go that direction. Yeah. But it really is about dosage, like questions of setting formality of tone with a greeting or mm -hmm. even what your opening is for your email. And mm -hmm. I like a little something that personalizes an email. I think it's yeah. nice. I think that it's a good way to acknowledge someone else's humanity. I think it 
is to your benefit when you're doing business with someone to connect on a personal level as well as over the, the work or the business that you do. I like how the alternative option that Jacob gives us is to be more direct, that there's also mm. a certain courtesy to efficiency in communication, to noticing yep. other people's communication styles and responding in ways that are effective and help get work done. So there's there's room in my world for that not being the rule that you apply in every situation. But I do mm -hmm. think that the places you can apply it, the places that you can do it, where you can introduce it, that it, it really does have benefits for the work and for your, your personal experience of the relationship with other people. Now, one of the things that I would be looking for myself as a question of dosage is cues from the person that I'm interacting with and particularly cues from my supervisor, boss, superior coordinator. If this was a practice that I was seeing modeled in my organization by someone who I report to, I would absolutely think about adopting it as a practice. And I wouldn't say I have to do it every time, but I would look for the opportunities to bring that kind of personal connection into my written style of email writing. So like maybe when you write to Mrs. Jones, excuse me, Ms. Jones for the first time in the day, you ask you know, how are you doing or how have you been or that sort of, I hope you are well, that it, sort of sentiment. Exactly. I hope this finds you well. Um, and, and having some variety, having some options for how you do that, I think is also wise. I think one of the places that people sometimes get in trouble with something that is not likely to be viewed as a, as a bad move is if it comes across as inauthentic or, mm -hmm. or just rote or formulaic. And if your emails always start with the exact same personalization, you can start to have that effect or that create that impression with someone. So that's one thing I would take care with. It's nice to have even just a couple of options. So you could run through a cycle of two, three, four, five different ways that you might open an email to someone that acknowledge them, look to strike a personal connection before you get down to business. Jacob. Thank you so much. Dan and I are both doing well, and we certainly hope that our answer finds you doing well, especially on this particular topic. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You could also leave us a voicemail like Julie did or text us at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us over on social media on Twitter. We are at emilypostinst. That's without a verification checkmark. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we are the Emily Post. Institute. Just use the hashtag awesome etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. If you enjoy awesome etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Kara, and we appreciate the phonetic spelling of your name so that we pronounce it right. Dear Dan and Lizzie, 
Thank you so much for this podcast and your fun and sage advice. I have feedback for Grateful Traveler on episode 425. I was in a similar position when my parents paid for a cruise for our entire family. What I opted to do was bring my cell phone and a small portable printer along, and every day would make a page in a scrapbook from tickets, photos, or cruise information pamphlets. At the end of the trip, we then handed them a photo album of the entire trip. Other times, I have collected all the traveler's photos into Shutterfly and created a photo book for the host and any guests that were on the trip as well. This was very well received because photo books do take time and many people never complete them despite their best intent. Just a thought. Thank you for all you do on the show. Warmly, Kara. Kara, thank you so much. This is fantastic advice. I am going to be taking it just so you know. I love this idea. I love the idea of printing the photos right then and there and making the album or scrapbook right then and there. This is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. Such cool feedback. I will add my thanks as well. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next question, piece of feedback, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today I am so very pleased that with me is Caitlin Ketchum, our editor at 10 Speed Press. And she and I are going to discuss the making of Emily Post's Etiquette, the Centennial Edition. Caitlin, I am so happy to have you here for this. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. As you know, I am a longtime fan of the podcast. You are, and you're a longtime Emily Post fan, which I think is really cool. Do you want to yep. tell everyone what you told me about your connection to Emily Post as a youth? Sure thing. <laughs> I mean, I think it was before I left for college. I um, went through this phase where I started reading a lot of etiquette books and was mm-hmm. just really interested. I think I was sort of on that moment of about to you know, leave home and be out in the world by myself as an adult for the first time. And I just really wanted to make sure I was, you know, approaching it the right way. And um, so I became familiar with Emily Post as a teenager and um, have been a little bit of a fan ever since and yeah. have had the great, you know, pleasure and honor of working with you on now two Emily Post books. Well, we are very grateful for that audience. I have to tell you that I often brag about my editor, Caitlin, to folks because she has been such a great editor to work with. And I truly mean that, Caitlin. And so I thought we might start our conversation today by asking you just a little bit about what made you and the 10 Speed team into this project when we came to you and said, hey, we have a chance here to to do something. Would you guys like to? What were kind of the thoughts that came through after that first phone call or first email? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's wild to think that we started talking about this book in January of 2020. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, you and I had worked together on Higher Etiquette, which had come out the previous year. um, And I had such a wonderful experience working with you and our whole team was, you know, felt the same way. And when you brought this opportunity to us to publish, you know, not only the 20th edition of the book, but the 100 year anniversary edition of the book, um, the main, the big book, the main book, I was really excited and, you know, brought it to our team. And I think there was, you know, among our group, people who had worked with you, who were thrilled at the opportunity to be able to work with you again. 
you had a lot of goodwill with your team. Yay! Um, unsurprisingly, Lizzie Post is um, a very, very lovely to work with. Um, and then I think there was a lot of excitement for, um, you know, this book, which is really a landmark kind of property in publishing, you know, really something that has been continuously revised and published for 100 years, something that has been really a cornerstone book of American prescriptive nonfiction. And 10 Speed, we do primarily nonfiction. A lot of it is prescriptive and how to kind of how to make your life better, how to improve yourself. So we, we, you know, we were really excited about it. There were some folks who were a little like, wait, but isn't etiquette kind of like dead. old fashioned? And dead? <laughs> is that still a thing? And is it really just about, you know, table manners and is that really who we are as a publisher? And of course, I was excited to share, no, that's not actually what etiquette is. It's so much more than that. And in working with you and being familiar with the brand and the publishing that you've done over the years in being a big fan of the podcast, I was really able to share with the team. And I think people, you know, this got really people really excited about it, that etiquette is really about more than what fork goes where yeah. <laughs> or how to how to greet someone that really your foundation of consideration, respect, and honesty is really about, you know, not only how you hold yourself in the world and how to make yourself feel empowered and comfortable to go into different situations and feel, you know, like you know how to act and you know how to conduct yourself, but also it's really at its core. And my favorite thing about the work that you and Dan and the whole Post family do is that it's really about making other people comfortable. And that is a real skill. And that is a real thing to learn about and to sort of dive into the reasons why we do that and how we how to best do that. So gosh, that's a very long answer. But... No, this is good. I'm so glad okay. to hear it. And I also think our audience can really relate and it can clearly mm -hmm. hear that you have listened to the podcast. <laughs> I mean, aside from having edited Higher Etiquette, which talked yeah. about all those themes too. Yeah. But it's wonderful to hear. I'm not at all surprised that there were some folks who were like, wait a second, let's really think about mm -hmm. this. So let's not just jump on it because it's a name brand. And frankly, I really appreciate that because I think critically thinking about it is important and it's something we constantly have to do. So mm -hmm. that's actually kind of meaningful that they had yeah. that experience yeah. too. And I love that you were such a champion for us in it and you could deliver all of the, the kind yeah. of um, Emily Post version of etiquette behind it. That's, that was really, really cool. So there's thinking about writing a book and then there's actually getting a book to production. And as I have learned as a writer that not, not all authors meet deadlines, not all authors finish projects, things like that. What's it like when you're taking a book that in its current form was 800 pages and we had signed a contract to do something more in the 450 range in terms of page length and, and word count? pull the curtain back a little bit for the audience on what's the process like once the contract is signed or maybe even some of the details that have to get added to the contract to figure out how we're going to make this book happen. And of course, we had the timeliness factor of mm -hmm. having to say, we kind of got to launch this one in the 100 year mark in order to have it really work. What was it like on your end? Because I have seen your beautiful post-it notes and and calendars with notations everywhere on them. They're almost artful in their organization audience. What was it like preparing this type of project to move through the publishing pipeline? That's a great question. And you are right. Writing a book and editing a book, shepherding a book through publication is a very big job in that there is a lot of big thinking that goes into it. And there's a lot of nitty gritty schedule thinking, can you have this to me by next Wednesday kind of thinking <laughs> that is involved. And so for this book, I think the really exciting thing about it is that you and Dan were starting from scratch, that this is the 
hundredth year, you know, that the book has been in publication and the 20th edition of the book. Before that, you were going to write an entirely new book. And that is a very big task. Why I love doing what I do is the ability to partner with writers and creative people to um, help them shape their projects, help them shape their visions, bring them into the world. And then also, so that's a big part of it. And the other big part of it is really, you know, holding people's hands and guiding them through the publication process, which can be long. It can be arduous. Publishing a book, as you know, is kind of like having a second job, a side job for two yes, or three years where you get, you get a lot of emails from me and I need a lot of things from you and I have a lot of questions for you and I have a lot of stuff to run by you. Um, and it can be a really um, a long journey. I think for, for a lot of folks, you know, writing a book is one of the biggest things they're going to do in their life. It's one of the most meaningful things they're going to do in their life. And um, it's really, it's without, at the risk of sounding trite, it's really an honor to work with people on those projects. So, I mean, with a book like this, which you're right, we, we ended up at 416 pages, which is considerably shorter than previous editions of the book, but it's still mm -hmm. a very long book. Yeah. Um, it was about 160,000 words. We actually worked in a slightly different way than I often work with authors, which is we were um, editing the chapters kind of one or two at a time because yeah. the time factor, you know, we signed this book up in the spring of 2020, right before we knew our lives were going to be changed. <laughs> totally um, the good thing is then we had a lot of time at home to, yeah. to, work, on the, to work on the edits. So, uh, and then to get it out for this fall 2022, um, you know, we really had to put the pedal to the metal. So oftentimes someone will send me a whole manuscript and sometimes that's, you know, as little as 15,000 words. Sometimes that's 85 thousand words. This one was, you know, a, a big one. So, um, rather, <laughs> exactly. so rather than taking the whole thing and me, you know, taking a couple months to read it and send you notes, we worked in batches where, which I think was really smart and what we needed to do for this one. So I could be, you know, editing a chapter, sending it back to you. You could be revising it. I could be cleaning it up. Um, our production editor could start working on it and get it to the copy editor. And we were able to kind of work in this cyclical fashion to be able to move a little bit faster on such a behemoth kind of project. For me, it was such a different experience because up until now, the books I'd written had always been kind of in that like 175 page range. And this was four times that big or three times that big. And so it was really interesting mapping that out and figuring out how we were going to get it to you. I remember Dan and I anticipating during the first, so the very first edit we do is called the developmental edit. And that's where, mm -hmm. Caitlin, you're figuring out, does the content really work here? And is it in the order we want it in? And I remember we were ready for that to be blood red coming back to us <laughs> with strike throughs everywhere and questions and everything. And we were so su surprised and, and pleased with ourselves. And then we made it blood red <laughs> by re-editing it. That first pass that you did, do you remember any of your thoughts or reactions to it as you got your hands on this this mm. sort of delicious book that you'd had an encounter with in your teen years and now here you are with it? It's not about pot. It's about the actual, you know, everyday <laughs> etiquette. <laughs> I mean, I'd had the benefit of working with you once before. So I had a sense of kind of what your I mean, I say first drafts. I know oftentimes <laughs> uh, the drafts that authors sent me are not actually their first drafts, but um, the first draft that I see mm -hmm. um, that we're going to take and develop from there, that you have pretty clean first drafts. Every author is different. Some folks really need that big, you know, uh, that re really intense red line. And then the, the revision process for them is that's where they really get the good stuff. You and Dan really turned in stuff that you have the benefit of being such deep experts in the space and in being familiar with writing and the, and structures of a book. A lot of what I do is actually coaching people, especially in nonfiction, 
on structure and how it works, oh. because how to organize a book like this is a really big question and can be a really big challenge. And you guys had the benefit of the experience of the previous editions of the book, but also then a little bit of that shadow hanging over you, right? Of how do you do something different? How do you make what really amounted to pretty radical changes from the yeah. previous editions of the book, you know, to do something like remove weddings from this. Yeah, book, you know? <laughs> that was a big deal. Um, <laughs> that's a big deal. And that's a lot of content. And so our kind of shared goal and vision for how do we take this draft and improve it is the right content there is the right information about the content in there. My big things that I'm looking for when I do an edit like this um, are clarity and context. You know, is it clear it. to the author? Um, is the author making it clear to the reader rather? And is the context of why it matters and when this is going to come up? Is that presented in a way that is, you know, understandable and accessible? So um, I remember being really excited and delighted to get this book, not only because it's this manuscript, not only because it's surreal to find yourself editing a book that you are, you know, familiar with from your youth, <laughs> but <laughs> totally. also... Um, but also just that I, I this this content and um, this world of the Emily Post etiquette is really um, dear to my heart and something Aww. that's really, I think, really meaningful and can be really moving, actually, in a way that people don't always recognize, right? When people, yeah. like, back to the point of people hear etiquette and they think, you know, where does the oyster fork go? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How to hold your utensils or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, in, th in reading the book and, you know, reading chapters, like the greetings and introductions chapter where yeah. you've, you know, added content about using people's names properly and people's pronouns properly and yeah. the honorifics that they use. You know, I find that really moving and important that it's dealt with in such a way that is really kind, gentle, respectful. It's apolitical. And it's, you know, the message is we use the people, we use the names that people ask us to use, you know, yeah. if your name Seems is Elizabeth, simple, right? You, <laughs> simple, right? If your name is Elizabeth and you go by Lizzie, I'm going to call you Lizzie and I'm not going to question it. Um, <laughs> so content like that, and then content like the hard times chapter, right? Which yeah. if we're talking about you know, all kinds of difficult times. And it's just the thinking about, it's just this, the way that we care for each other and the way that we step up for each other when things are challenging. I mean, it's very timely always, <laughs> but it feels, it feels important and it feels moving. And so it was really a joy to edit this. I mean, my job, you know, sometimes can be a lot of like, okay, I'm hunched over my laptop for, you know, several days at a time yeah. working on something. <laughs> um, but this always felt like kind of a breath of fresh air to work on. And oh. um, it's about our best selves. You know, it's about um, those core principles that you talk about of consideration, respect and honesty. And it's, you know, what could be nicer to work on than that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> So tell me something. Were there any laugh out loud moments? I can think of some of your edits that I in particular love. I even screenshotted a bunch of them throughout the course of the editing. But were there any laugh out loud moments, any standout moments, any uh, record scratch moments or revelatory moments? Oh, wow, I've been doing that wrong for years. Or I'm just curious mm -hmm. when you were reading it, what was some of the things that really stuck out? I mean, every book is its own journey. And, um, you know, I do try to approach it with a with a lightness and um, that this is, you know, a long, messy, mucky process of, yeah. you know, you send me 160,000 words, I mark them <laughs> up and send them back. I mean, I think a moment that stands out to me, um, because this is the, you know, part of my job is sort of pressure testing the content and saying, yeah. okay, is this really, 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 is this the truth? Is this the end that, you know, in a book like <laughs> this book, where you're telling people this is the right thing to do or the wrong <laughs> thing to do? You know, I had a lot of moments of sort of, um, you know, I know that you and Dan are the experts, but also just asking sort of from an outside perspective, you know, are we certain? 
I mean, one of the also best parts about my job is I get to learn so much. Oh, um, I bet. Working on nonfiction, especially. So getting to read all of, of this content and then really engage in discussion with you about it, it's almost like taking a master class in it. So there's lots of sort of, you know, funny moments. There's lots of moments where I'm like, oh, wow, I did not know that. That is fascinating. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just think it was a, it was such a, it's such a fun project to work on for so many so many reasons. Oh, I'm so, so glad to hear that. (laughs) Okay. This is a really a short question, but in an Emily Post etiquette book, many people want everything to be perfect. (laughs) And I am definitely one of those people. How do you as an editor handle the fact that every book is going to have at least one typo and a book that's 416 pages might have a few? How do you handle it? Cause I still don't sleep well at night all the time. <laughs> uh, I hear you, Lizzie. I hear you. Um, it is amazing. And this is maybe something that folks who, um, who, who read books have noticed, you know, I, you know, I have spot little things all the time yeah. <laughs> in, in, um, in novels, in cookbooks and all kinds of books. Like, mm, that's, that's not the right use of there or something like that. You know? <laughs> totally. um, I mean, I think what I've learned in my time in publishing is um, it is astonishing how many people can look at something and it still slips by, you know, the author, the editor who's doing the, the developmental edit, the production editor, the copy editor, a proofreader, the author looks at it again, the main <laughs> editor looks at it again, and still things can get a little bit funky. Um, I have made my peace with it. Yeah. Um, that that is part of the process. It is something yeah. that happens. We we do our absolute best to try to make sure everything is as perfect as possible, and that's part of why publishing a book is a long process because mm-hmm. there are so many check check double check triple check um, kind of moments, and it, it's amazing. Things still things still slip by. Still so, slip through. I feel like you, know, you are my go to comfort zone for that. Where I'm like, it's really okay, right? It's really okay. You're like, it's, it's really, really okay. okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then a final question for you: What was your favorite favorite part? Either, and you can answer this either way: either for the process of doing the book, or for the um, the actual etiquette, like the content of the book. Was there a favorite part? Either either direction you want to go. So I think my favorite part of the process is when I look at the chapters that I have edited and sent back to you and you have revised because that's where it's sort of the little conversation on the page is happening. And, you know, I see those moments where I've said, okay, this isn't really clear or like, is this really the rule? Um, Is there any more guidance or context we could provide about this? What about this part of it that you might not have thought of? Is Mm Is there a step here that we could explain? And then not only seeing you know, kind of how you address that on the page and adding that step or fleshing something out a little bit more, but also seeing your your comments about it. And that's where we have a lot of those little, you know, kind of funny grace note moments. Um, that's just always a really satisfying part of the process for me as an editor to be able to, you know, I'm seeing your development on the page literally happening in front of me. Yeah. So when I'm giving notes, I'm saying it should really be more like this or how, what if it sounded like that? And then kind of seeing what you've done with that is like really exciting. It makes me sort oh, of like, cool. a, you know, like a proud mama hen you know, <laughs> like, or whatever. I don't know. I will uh, happily be your little chick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me, it makes me, um, it makes me excited and proud. And it's nice to see when people really hit those marks. And then it's also nice to see the commentary um, that people kind of make about it. Like, oh, okay. I was going for this, but I see how I missed that. And mm-hmm. I've tr- tried to address that. Does that work? You know, and we mm-hmm. have sort of this ongoing developmental and creative conversation about it. 
Well, I'm really glad to hear that because oftentimes Dan and I would send it back and we were like, wow, we addressed way more than what they asked us to. I hope they don't feel like we're totally rewriting the script. <laughs> no, it's better that way, right? I mean, that's part of the process is it's yeah. like we we get it into the lab and pressure test it, so to speak, right? Exactly. And, you know, it was interesting too with you and Dan that you have such deep knowledge of this content. And, you know, you, you wrote this draft, you left it all in the field, and then you still came back and said, actually, I want to add one more thing. Or actually, I think now that I've spent time with it and sat with it, and that's where a lot of really good development comes from. Yeah. No, I remember we, and audience, I think you know this about us already, Dan and I, we tried to get in as many big edits as we could all the way up to the very last, last week before it was being sent to the printers. And you all were so gracious about it. It was really, really wonderful. I was so impressed with the team that you put together to work on this. And we are so grateful, especially on the design front, um, just how this book has come together and how much we felt as a company so incredibly supported by you all through the process. Literally, I felt like etiquette was everywhere in all of it. And it, it was a real joy. So I just want to thank you so much for all of your time and attention to this project. And I'm, I'm so excited that we're hopefully going to get to keep working together in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. And, um, and truly everything that you have brought to this book is so meaningful and has made it such a better piece of work for our audience to enjoy. And I, we are really grateful, grateful for your efforts and the team's efforts on this. Thank you for oh. so much for taking time to, to talk with us about it today. Of course, it's an honor to, um, to work with you, to know you, to publish your book um, and to be here today. So I have learned so much from working with you and just being a podcast listener, you know, um, <laughs> totally. it's, I really feel like it, it makes me a better person. And um, just want to shout out the rest of our team. Um, Please, you yeah. mentioned that you mentioned the design, the beautiful design of the book is courtesy of our wonderful designer, Lizzie Allen. Um, Ashley Pierce did our production editorial on the book and Dan Myers did our production. And then David Hawk is our publicist and Andrea Portanova is our marketer. Oh, it's such a good team to be a part of. I love you guys so much. And thank you again so much for sharing this with our audience. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we have a salute from Jasmine, and I'm, I'm going to preface this, Dan, just by saying that we love and really appreciate the, the salutes that are about the show, and but we try very hard to not sound too navel-gazing about it, um, so we, we too don't always them, air yeah. them, but I really, this one was really impactful, and I, I did really want to share it, so this is a really great salute from Jasmine. Greetings from sunny Los Angeles. I hope this message finds you and your families well. I have been a listener of the podcast since about 2015, but this is my first time writing. I have considered it on various occasions, but for one reason or another, have not put pen to paper, or in the digital age, fingertips to keyboard. <laughs> the etiquette salute from today's episode, however, resonated deeply with me, and I decided I have stalled long enough in communicating to you how much this program means to me. I am a 31-year-old woman, the eldest child of Mexican immigrants who came to the United States as teens. Despite having been born in this country and raised in a sizable suburb of Southern California, 
there are many elements of traditional American etiquette that were largely absent from my upbringing. My parents come from a very rural and impoverished community in central Mexico, where formal education and Western social norms were not prevalent. Assimilation into this new world and its foreign customs was often accomplished via trial and error by them and by their children. I adore my parents and cherish the fundamental values they instilled in me, humility, respect for elders, and accountability. However, there were multiple occasions during my school years where I felt out of the loop among my peers, whose families had been Americans longer than mine. When I entered the workforce in 2013 at a global public accounting firm, my imposter syndrome magnified. This was around the time when I began to seek new resources for proper business etiquette, and this is how I found you. I wanted to learn how to present myself as a dignified and educated businesswoman, in particular to the overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male partners of my firm. I wanted to be confident that I was picking up the correct fork at a team lunch and feared being perceived as incompetent if I didn't. By listening to this podcast, I learned not only the difference between continental and American styles of dining, but that I was not the only person seeking this information. What a magical feeling to know you are not alone. Like the listener featured on today's salute, I want to thank you and the awesome Etiquette team for making Etiquette accessible for people like me, people who did not grow up with table settings or with an understanding that money was impolite conversation. Thank you for introducing me to such exotic concepts as the sip and see or <laughs> written thank you notes. Not kidding. Thank you for helping me realize that my background needn't be viewed as a disadvantage and that in the grand scheme of things, we are all capable of and deserving of consideration, respect, and honesty. I appreciate you and wish you nothing but the best with the new edition of the book. Most sincerely, Jasmine. Jasmine, thank you so, so much for that salute. We really appreciate your feedback and your sharing your perspective and experience with us. Um, it really, it, it was really powerful to read it. And I especially, the, the last paragraph of thank you for helping me realize that my background needn't be viewed as a disadvantage and that in the grand scheme of things, we are all capable of and deserving of consideration, respect, and honesty. I just, you, you just couldn't ask for a better way to put it. Thank you so, so much. We're so glad this show has been impactful for you. And we truly hope that we can continue to be a good guiding light and one that is reassuring and not shaming. Thank you so, so much for your salute. It has meant the world to us. I will second that. Thanks, Jasmine. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening today. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, co-workers, that stranger sitting next to you at the lunch counter today. Anyhow that you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us over at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. 
You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please do leave us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. And let's face it, that might just have a shot at making the world a little bit of a nicer place. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, an assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.